0: Well, a big hello to everyone watching Church at Home today. My name is Grant, if we haven't met before, and I hope you're doing really, really well wherever you're watching this from right now. I do just wanna say, for those of you who might have missed our emails or missed this on the videos over the last few weeks, that we are meeting in person today for the second time in 2021 at our new venue. It's on 48 Gordon Road. It's the Trinity Church Morningside building. And we had an amazing Sunday last week, being back in person, worshiping together, taking communion together, just drinking coffee together and seeing one another. It was really, really good for the soul, let me tell you that. And just if you didn't know that, we are meeting in person, we wanna invite you, just say come along and join us. And just a reminder that you do need to register to join those services. And there might still be a space, if you're watching this on Sunday morning, there could be some spaces left, some gaps for you to come and join us at 4.30 this afternoon at 48 Gordon Road. But I just wanna say to all of you, this is something I'm gonna be saying live in our in-person gathering later today, that we as a church are in a rebuilding phase, which I'm sure makes a lot of sense to all of us. It's been a year. I mean, it's been over 13 months where we've barely met in person as a church, which is crazy. I mean, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia, the, the call out ones, we, we gather together, we come together, we're an assembly of people. And not being able to meet in person is very, very tough for the church. So we are rebuilding right now. We're, we're rebuilding who we are, our identity as a church. We're rebuilding the community of Harbor City. We're rebuilding our vision and mission. We're rebuilding the rhythms and practices that we have together as a community. And we're rebuilding our teams and ministries too. And I want to say to you today: you know, we said a lot of goodbyes last year. I think in the disruption and shaking of 2020, there was a lot of movement with people, and there still is some movement with people. Moving to new parts of South Africa or new parts of the world for work or studies or whatever they feel that God might be calling them to. And I want to say in light with that, we need you to play the role that God has called you to play in Harbor City if you are part of the family, you know, to play your role, to use your gift, to use your time, to use the talents God has put inside of you to serve Harbor City, to bring him glory and to serve. Durban. And I guess that looks like two ways. For those of you who are at home now, for those of you who don't feel comfortable coming to our in-person gatherings or maybe are over a certain age bracket or not feeling too healthy or have some comorbidities, uh, we understand that you're not going to join us for the next while and we're going to continue to do church at home. But I think organically there's ways that you can serve Harbor City without joining us on a Sunday. You can pray for the church. You can pray for its people. You can pray for salvation, for people to grow in their faith, for God to be at work in the community, for fruitfulness, for all of those things. You can uh, reach out to people, call or text, see how people are doing. You can disciple others. You can meet up with people in person in smaller groups, even outside or socially distance. You can share the gospel. You can invite people to church or send on this link for people to watch it, to be a part of it. Well, whatever it is, how can you join in to play a role in building? what God is doing in Harbour City. And then secondly, there's the organizational part, which I'm speaking to people too in our gathering today of serving in a team or ministry in the church. And we've got a link um, in our bios on social media or through the email that will go out this week, really, which gives you an opportunity to sign up for different areas that you'd like to be involved in. Let us know a little bit about yourself. Maybe just say, hey, I'll help wherever I can. Just as we are in this rebuilding phase, we're wanting to get each person playing a role and helping to rebuild the teams and strengthen our ministries that we can host people well on Sundays and serve the city and serve one another and be part of being the church that God has called us to be. So look out for all of that. But today we're into part three of our Jesus Encounters series. And if you haven't joined us yet for this, really what we're doing is looking at these snapshots of Jesus's life and interactions with people in the Gospels. And and this is really important because when we see Jesus, we see God. And when we see what Jesus is like, we see what God is like. And my hope in this series, as we look at these amazing encounters, is that we get to know and enjoy God more for ourselves. And we get to see what He is like. So today we're jumping into a new encounter, looking at Jesus in a different conversation with a different person. So this sermon's got three titles: it's Jesus and the White Collar Criminal, or Jesus and the Hated Man, or Jesus and the corrupt official. So you can choose whichever one you like the most. But before we jump into Luke 19, you can turn in your Bibles. There's a lot going on in the news at the moment, both here at home and internationally. There's just craziness going on around the world. And we've said that for about a year now. It doesn't seem to be slowing down. But corruption has been in the headlines in the South African news for years now in so many different forms and shapes. This is a major headline for us as a country and even right now we've got some Big headlines that have got to do with corruption going on in the news. There's still kind of that shadow of state capture and the legacy of the Guptas. And right now, Jacob Zuma and his trial, like one of the corruption charges against him, his legal battles are continuing in the media. On top of that, this last week, Tokyo Sexuali's fraud claims about this huge fund and the money that has gone missing. I mean, he's talking money like 110 trillion rand, talking about that. And then there's uh, constant talk around corruption around the the COVID relief fund, different tenders, SAA, Eskom, other things, other state-owned enterprises in our country. And as we see all of those stories of corruption, it can make us feel frustrated and disheartened and angry and bitter at the people who are taking money, particularly the money that we've worked hard to earn, that we've paid as tax for the benefit of South Africa, for the benefit of its people. And they've taken that money to make themselves richer and their lives better. While we as a country have the highest youth unemployment in the world, some of the highest income inequality in the world, and while so many people in our nation are struggling in poverty just to get by. It, may, it should make you angry and cross. And at the same time, we have been called by some people the justice generation. We're a generation that cares about justice, that hates injustice, that speaks up for the oppressed. And as we look at a story um, like this or these stories in the news, you know, we want justice for the oppressed and we want justice for the oppressor. We want what is right to happen. And I guess for us being in a series like this, Jesus encounters, you know, we, as we talk about what's going on in our country and what's going on in the news and all of this corruption, I guess there should be this question of if Jesus was to encounter a corrupt official like this, what would that conversation look like and what would happen? So let's read from Luke 19 verse 1. It says, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's going to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is one of the Jesus encounters I learned about as a child, not going to church or kids' church or anything like that. You know, this this was a story I heard about long before I ever went to church or became a Christian, which I think shows how significant an encounter this is, being so well-known in our culture. But this story has got a lot going on in it that I didn't pick up when I was a kid. So firstly, let's start with geography for all you geography buffs out there. Jesus enters Jericho and he's passing through. sounds pretty casual Jesus is just passing through Jericho doesn't seem like he's got a care in the world and we look at that and we think that sounds casual what's going on here but what I love about those two words is that even though Jesus is passing through he's going somewhere else God is able to use that moment to do something significant that would change someone's life forever. And I want to raise that because as you were just passing through your day, your workplace, as you're just driving through an area, what is it that God could do in and through you in that moment? What is it that God is wanting to do? Because Jesus saw it. Jesus saw what God was wanting to do and he was able to be part of something significant that changed Zacchaeus' life. But why is he passing through? See, he's going through Jericho to get to the city of Jerusalem, which was 24 kilometers to the northeast of Jerusalem. Jesus was on mission. He was headed to the cross. One of the things we see again and again in the Gospels is that it says Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. He was focused. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was called to do, and he wanted to do it. Nothing was going to get in his way. So he's passing through Jericho to get to his final destination, to get to the cross and to die for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine, to die in our place that we could be reconciled to God. And this geography is really important because at the end of this chapter, as Jesus passes on, Jericho, uh, Jesus is going to spend his last week in Jerusalem, building towards his death. And this moment is one of the last things Jesus would do the, the last week or so of his life and how significant it is. So first, is the geography. Secondly, I wanna highlight, and this is big, Zacchaeus and the crowd. Luke 19 verse two says, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And that's key because this could be a story of a bunch of different people. If you think of that crowd, there were hundreds or thousands of people around Jesus, pressed around him on every side. But this isn't their story. This is Zacchaeus' story. Jesus very easily, instead of looking to Zacchaeus and saying, hey, I'm coming to your house today, could have looked at anyone else. He could have looked at John the teacher who just got a new job and is feeling pretty strong about life or Belinda the architect who's just had an affair and is dealing with guilt over what she's done, but also the stress of her work and her life and trying to escape and just numb the pain of what she's going through. Or what about Tabani, the doctor who got some bad health news yesterday? Or Kerry the electrician or Kuben, the plumber or whoever comes to your mind, they're all in the crowd around Jesus. There's stories in that crowd of success and suffering, of joy and hurt, of love and hate, and stories of need all in that same place, all around Jesus. But this isn't the story of the crowd or of any of those other people. This is the story of Jesus and one man. His name is Zacchaeus. And when it comes to these Jesus encounters, I hope in every single one, you'll put yourself in the shoes of the people that are a part of that story and personalize these stories and apply Jesus's questions and teaching to yourself. Say, what does this mean for me? So don't fade into the crowd today as Zacchaeus comes out. No, no, no. We need to highlight ourselves or allow God to open ourselves up to the work that he might want to do in us today as we watch this. So who is Zacchaeus? The first thing we learn here is that he's a chief tax collector and he's very rich. Zacchaeus was a man who lived in a very wealthy city called Jericho and because he was a chief tax collector, he probably oversaw a bunch of other tax collectors in that area and he would have gotten a cut of their earnings. So he was very, very wealthy. As a chief tax collector, it meant that Zacchaeus was an employee of the Roman Empire. And what would happen in this Roman system is that men like him would they would bid to get his job. They would put out tenders, you know, to try and get this role. And Zacchaeus has got it, which which meant they would say, I am gonna bring in this amount of money for the Roman Empire. And then they would get the taxes from the people, but they would crank up how much the taxes were and then everything that was over the amount they promised to the Roman Empire would be theirs. You know, that was theirs for the taking. And that's why these tax collectors were so despised. They, They were hated by the Jewish people because they were Jews. They were taking money. They were extorting their own people and making them poorer to make themselves rich. And on top of this, because they were working for the Roman Empire, they had the Roman army at their disposal to help to enforce their corruption. Now Luke says that Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, which means he would have extorted a great deal from his own people in Jericho, which is ironic. And the reason is that his name Zacchaeus in Hebrew means innocent and pure. Obviously, Zacchaeus was anything but innocent and pure. He was a Jewish man ripping off his own people, the Jews, and stealing from them. And he would have been hated and rejected by them. Zacchaeus had chosen money and his job over his people, his nation, his faith, and his God. So Zacchaeus was very lonely. He was an outcast to the Jews and he didn't fit in with the Romans either. He was too Jewish for the Romans and he was too Roman for the Jews. So he probably would have spent a lot of time on his own, maybe some time with the other tax collectors, but he would have been feared by many and not loved or respected by many at all. So when you think of Zacchaeus, think of someone who spent many nights lying on the couch watching Netflix alone Every night, every week, always. No invites to do things. No friends, no hobbies, no social life, no God. Just his job and his money and his stuff. Next we learn about him that he was also small in stature. And as a short man myself, um, I can tell you, my mom always promised me when I was growing up, Grant, you're gonna be over six foot tall, just like all of your cousins. Now that I'm growing up, I look at my cousins and many of them are not over six foot. But um, I mean, the dream would be to be six foot two, to fit into that mold of being tall, dark and handsome. But I'm not, I'm five foot, I don't know, five foot eight, five foot nine at a push. I'm short, but Zacchaeus would have been even shorter than me. Some commentators think he was under five foot in height. And because he was shorter, he was different. He was physically different. And generally what happens is that people who look different are labeled and treated differently by society. So this is another strike against Zacchaeus. And lastly, we read that the crowd responded to Jesus's visit, labeling Zacchaeus as a man who is a sinner in verse seven. Zacchaeus was a sinner. Now there's a saying in the recovery uh, movement that says, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. What what that means is you can't get away from yourself. You can't get away from who you are, what's inside your heart. You can't get away from what you've done no matter where you go. And here in Jericho, everyone knew who Zacchaeus was. Everyone knew the life he'd chosen, the decisions he'd made, what he had done. And he was despised and hated by them for it. Everyone knew of his corruption. Everyone knew how he'd gotten rich. So everywhere he went, there he was. But as we see in this story, Zacchaeus is about to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus where he's going to be redefined and it's going to leave him changed forever. And here we read that Zacchaeus seemed interested in Jesus. In verse 3 it says he was trying to see who Jesus was. Now, we don't know why. We don't know what had sparked his interest in Jesus. Maybe he'd heard people talking about him. Maybe um, he'd he'd seen Jesus speak before. Maybe he'd heard that this Jesus speaks a message of grace and forgiveness and hope for people like him, outcasts and rejects and failures and sinners, people who've done the wrong thing. And he thought, I wonder if I can feel set free from the things that burden me, My, my shame, my guilt, my past, my heart. I wonder if this man could do something for me. So we don't know what Zacchaeus thought or what he hoped for. We don't know what he was hoping he would see when he saw Jesus or or what he would hear when he heard him speak, but he was interested. And before we get into that, I want to ask you, because in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do the people say that I am? And they shoot out a bunch of answers. And then Jesus says to them again, okay, now who do you say that I am? And that personal answer or response is crucial. I want to say to you today that I think the most important answer that you can give in your life is the answer to that question. Who do you say that I am? So I want to ask you that today. Imagine Jesus is right there with you. This is a Jesus encounter moment. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you agree with the claims of the scriptures? Do you agree with how he reveals himself? Who do you say that Jesus is? Zacchaeus seems to be interested in investigating Jesus for himself and seeing who he is and what all the fuss is about. And he's so interested, in fact, that when he's unable to get to see Jesus because of this hostile, taller crowd, I'm sure no one was, you know, helping him at all. They hated this man. Because he couldn't get to see Jesus or get to the front of the crowd, he decided he was going to climb a tall tree a special type of tree, actually, a sycamore fig tree, which had a short, sturdy trunk, a bit like Zacchaeus, and then these long spreading branches. So as he climbed up, Zacchaeus was able to get a good bird's eye view on what was going on with Jesus below. But before he climbed that tree, he had to get over his own pride and dignity. And this is what I mean by that. For Zacchaeus to climb that tree, he had to get over what people thought of him and to humble himself because he was a chief tax collector. He was a big deal. He was a man of high position and great power and authority. He was influential. He was well known so for him to climb a tree in front of everyone was undignified, it was embarrassing, it was humiliating even. And everyone would have known who he was, So as they saw him in the tree, they probably would have laughed, pointed, gossiping, whispering about him saying, look, there's there's that man Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, what a fool, acting like a child, how undignified for an official like him to be playing up there while all of this is going on. This would have been crazy. And I want you to think of yourself, imagine being in a big crowd, wanting to see what's going on and climbing the tree, like climbing the sycamore tree in your suit, in your smart work clothes for everyone to see, especially if you are a well-known figure. So what Zacchaeus has to do is he has to humble himself to climb this tree to get a look at Jesus. And I want to say, if you and I want to follow Jesus, we need to humble ourselves too. We need to humble ourselves and deal with our own pride and arrogance and uh, identity. And we need to get over being ridiculed and mocked by other people for following Jesus. We need to stop caring what other people think so much about us. We need to die to our pride and our sense of self-importance. Because really, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to care more about what God thinks of us than what anyone else does. So if the first obstacle we need to get out of the way to follow Jesus is our pride what's the next obstacle in the story it's the crowd in our lives i'm sure you feel this the things are busy when i speak to people all they say all the time is i'm busy i'm busy so much is going on there are so many people and voices and opinions and events and activities and so much work everyone seems to be working harder than ever before right now Then there's networking opportunities and articles and entertainment and podcasts and movies and things and stuff. And I'm sure you've got other things in your mind which you could add to that list. But there's so much that can get in the way and stop us from being with Jesus. And Zacchaeus had to make a choice here, not only to humble himself and get over his pride, but also to get above the crowd. You see, Zacchaeus couldn't be focused on the crowd if he wanted to see Jesus, and he couldn't be a part of the crowd because he couldn't get through. And he also didn't want to see Jesus through the lens of the crowd. The crowd had become an obstacle to Zacchaeus being with Jesus. So Zacchaeus realized, I need to separate myself from the crowd to see Jesus for myself. And I believe we need to do the same today. And what happens next is incredible he separates himself, he humbles himself, he climbs up in that tree. And then Luke 19 verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. In that culture, Jesus entering Zacchaeus's home also indicates his acceptance of him as a man, which stuns this crowd. Jesus accepting the sinful man, they would have been scandalized. And we see that in verse 7, all who saw it, began to complain. Everyone in the crowd is complaining, saying he's going to stay with a sinful man. Everyone is shocked by Jesus's words and Jesus's decision, including Zacchaeus, because he thinks the same way the crowd does. He's used to being rejected by everyone. And now here's this man, Jesus, accepting him and coming into his home and wanting to spend time with him. Even though Zacchaeus was a sinful man, Jesus was not rejecting him. In fact, he wasn't condoning anything he did, but Jesus wasn't rejecting him. He was pursuing him. He was pursuing his heart. Now, apparently the theologians and commentators tell us there are about 134 different names or titles that are given to Jesus in the scriptures. Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Man, Christ, Messiah, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. I'm sure you've got a few others coming into your mind, but one of my favorite titles for Jesus is the friend of sinners. Luke 7 verse 34, it says, the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And really, as we read this story in Luke 19, we can say, yes, Jesus is a friend of tax collectors like Zacchaeus. Now, listen, I want to say Jesus never sinned. So he was never gluttonous and he never got drunk. I'm sure he would have had a good meal with you. I'm sure he would have had a glass of wine or had a beer around the bra with you. But Jesus never sinned, but he associated with people that sinned. He spent time with people that ate too much. And can I just highlight here, gluttony is a sin. Eating too much its not something we talk about often, but we see that here. It's a sin. Overindulging or comfort eating or any of those things, it's a sin. It's also a sin to get drunk. And maybe for some of you, this is a pressure point, you know, relying too much on alcohol using it to take the edge off or to numb you, you know, using it for escapism or to party, whatever it is. Getting drunk is a sin because we're people that are called to be led by the Spirit of God, not by alcohol. We're called to be self-controlled so that we can serve and honor God, not to be led by what is inside of us under the influence of alcohol. So Jesus never got drunk, but he would have spent time with people that got drunk. He spent time with those rejected by society and those that were just plain old sinners. And Jesus, which I love, just seems comfortable in the presence of people that like other people in society didn't feel comfortable around. You know, the the corrupt members of society, the cheats, the prostitutes, the thieves, the, the sinners, he feels comfortable in their presence without ever compromising his own integrity or holiness and without ever affirming their sin. And maybe what's even more amazing than that is the fact that they felt comfortable around him. They knew Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher. They knew that he was a holy man of God. They knew what he was doing in the area, but they felt comfortable being in his presence. And even more than that, they were drawn to him. And in Jesus, what we learn is that it is possible for us as Christians to both be radically holy and set apart to God in his ways, and at the same time to be radically gracious and loving to those who are different to us. Jesus does it here. We see in the scriptures that Jesus is the holy pure friend of sinners. And when we see Jesus going into Zacchaeus's house, we see the incredible change that takes place there. You see Zacchaeus has built this life and great wealth through sinful means, through oppressing others and extorting others and taking from others. And now he tears down that old sinful life that he had built to build a new life as a new man in Christ. See, his response to Jesus indicated a genuine faith and a saved soul that he was a new creation. And what he does is, and I mean, this is huge. Please don't underplay this at all. He gives away half of his wealth and he promises that if he has extorted from anyone, cheated, defrauded anyone, which is probably the whole crowd, everyone watching this, then he would pay them back fourfold. That is incredible. Now, in the scriptures in the old uh, covenant laws, according to uh, yeah, Leviticus 5 and Numbers 5, the most you would ever pay back for restitution was 20 percent over what you had cheated or defrauded from people. But here this rich man, Zacchaeus, touched by Jesus and responding by faith to him, opens up his resources wider to be generous to the people that he's cheated before. You see, Zacchaeus has experienced the generosity of God in his own life. And he's been made pure and innocent again, just like his name states. He's been forgiven of his sin and the injustice and oppression that he has been a part of. And he wants to stop the cycle, to stop perpetuating that and live as a new man. And Zacchaeus in this moment, maybe for the first time feels free you know, free from the oppression of sin and shame and guilt that has been enslaving him and holding him captive for so long. And now he wants to set others free from the financial oppression and burdens that they've been enslaved by because of him. And what we see here is that Zacchaeus is easily able to give his money away. It's not like he's deliberating on this. He doesn't sit on it for ages as Jesus comes in his heart changes and he's able to open his wallet and say, I give half of my money away. If I've cheated you, I'll pay you back fourfold. And he's able to do that so easily because his soul has found the thing that is most looking for. It's not money. It's not power. It's not his job. He's found it in Jesus. And I want you to like modernize this for a second, contemporize this in South Africa maybe somewhere down by the courts or by like some significant municipal building or political building, someone encounters Jesus, a a high up government official, their hearts are changed. This, This is like the front page of news 24, every newspaper, their hearts are changed. They realize the wrong that they've done, how they've oppressed others, been unjust, been part of the system of corruption. And they repent and they open their wallets and promise anyone that I have cheated, anyone that I have wronged, I will pay back fourfold. And on top of that, I'm giving away half of my money to better this nation, to better your lives you can imagine people weeping on the street. People can't believe it. Their their lives have changed. Their taxes have dropped. They're free from some of the bondage that they've been under. They're able to pay off debts. There's relief, joy, and freedom in their lives. Their kids don't know what's going on, but they're hugging them and saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. And whenever Jesus calls someone in scripture to follow him, like Zacchaeus here, he calls them to repent and to believe in him. Uh, In a different part of the scriptures, in Acts 26, verse 20, we read this. It says, they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. And here what we see with Zacchaeus is his response to Jesus is in keeping with his repentance. He's repenting of his corruption and his injustice and the way he's oppressed other people. And he's making restitution for his previous crimes. And I want you just to think, this is not a cheap thing. Think of how costly this would be to his fortune to pay back all of this money. For him to do this, it's clear that the kingdom of God has truly come in his life. Now listen, Jesus is not impressed just by the generosity. I mean, that's an incredible thing. But Jesus sees through to his heart and he looks at this change inside of Zacchaeus and he says, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. Now we need to see something important in the order of how things happen in this story. You see, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house when he is still cheating people. He hasn't paid back a cent yet. There's no indication that his heart is going to change at all. He is still corrupt. That's why everyone's shocked that Jesus would go into that home. And it's only after Jesus comes out of that home that Zacchaeus, sorry, goes into that home that Zacchaeus repents and opens his arms and opens his wallet to the people around to give away his money. You see, Jesus doesn't come into Zacchaeus' life because his life has changed. No, Zacchaeus' life is changed because Jesus comes into his life. So for you now, we must never say, and I hear this as a pastor all the time from people, we must never say, I'll get my life in order and then I'll come to Jesus. You see, if you're even thinking about Jesus like Zacchaeus was earlier in this passage, then Jesus is probably nearby. He's probably at the door wanting to come in to meet with you. And all we need to do is open the door to him. Even if everything's a mess inside, open the door when everything is not yet in order and he will help us. This is the reason jesus came this is his mission this is how the passage ends in verse 10 the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost see verse 10 tells us that jesus wants all people everywhere to know him even the corrupt selfish hated rich oppressors like zacchaeus and you know the way that jesus is reaching out to those people is through the church through our sunday church at home videos like this, it's through church events. It's also through the church, you and I, as we spread out across the city during the week, as we're at work, as we're doing leisure activities, as we're at the beach, as we're at the gym, as we're at the store, everywhere we go, Jesus is wanting, as we pass through, to reach out to the people that are around us and to reach out to us too with his grace. The question that we need to ask ourselves as we end today is will we humble ourselves of our pride that we can see Jesus and be part of what he's doing? And will we get out of the crowds that are distracting us and getting in the way of us being with Jesus? And when Jesus reaches out to us and says, can I come into your house today? I'm passing through. I want to do something now. Will we respond to him and be part of what he's doing? Why don't you take a moment where you are right now either to pray if you're on your own or to discuss this with those that you're watching with and then to pray for one another and answer these questions. How do I need to respond to this today? Where do I find myself in the story? What has stood out to me? And then pray for the week ahead that actually as you pass through the places you will go, the people that you'll see that God would work in your life and through your life to minister to them.